0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and
1: welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. uh, With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, it is the most glorious of weekends. And you of course know why, don't you? I do. You do. You do. Yes, Liverpool Football Club has won the Premier League. It's 19th overall, English league title, and it's first in 30 years. How did you celebrate? <laughs> uh, how do you want me to have celebrated? <laughs> uh, there is no wrong way, Eric. Ah, uh, okay. As long as well, there were celebrations.
2: Well, this is this, this is my celebration, I guess. This is about as close as I've come to celebrating uh, the the victory of Liverpool. Should I turn it back on you and ask how did you celebrate?
1: It was, it was a bit emotional. It's was look, it been 30 years, as I said, since Liverpool um, uh, last won the league. And, and the team has been through... Like, it's weird. It's, it's like the demise in the team. In the 70s and the 80s, the, team, the club won everything. They were European champions. They were English champions. I think between 1973 and 1990, they only once failed to finish first or second. Completely dominant. Uh, and then they had the darkest day in their history in 1989, when 96 fans got crushed at a game in, mm. to death at a game in Sheffield and the Thatcher government and the Murdoch press and the police all tried to blame the fans and, you know, accuse them of doing things like urinating on the dead and pickpocketing the dead. And, 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 and that kind of, it, it was somewhat correlation rather than causation, but right. that, you know, um, somewhat led to the demise of the team. And it took 25 years for the government and the police and, and so on to acknowledge that, that was all lies basically and, and none of that happened and it was terrible policing and, and awful crowd control the resulted in all of that and it's again correlation rather than causation like that official acknowledgement sort of lifted this whole kind of burden off of the club and off of the city and it's been since then that the club has kind of uh, come back and oh came one point one point short of winning the league title last year but then became European champions and utterly dominant this year so it's this huge kind of collective 30-year catharsis for people who had supported the club not just because it'd been so long since they won the title but because of everything that had happened since so right. um yeah and still seven seven games still to go in the season so they could still rack up a record points haul, which i know you'll be following the case. <laughs> absolutely
2: that is just all very foreign to me the idea of a season where you crown a champion and the season is not over yet but uh um yeah i mean look you, you know that i would love nothing more than to say something sarcastic and insult soccer in some way, but I, I won't. I am genuinely happy for you, and, uh, and and I'm glad that you kept your celebratory monologue relatively brief, because if it had gone on and on and on, uh, then I, I was prepared to fire back with a 10-minute dissertation on Breaking Bad and what a fool one would have to be to have uh, still not watched it, but I, I don't have to do that. But Just know that I'm ready to if you try to extend your soccer talk into the weeks ahead.
1: You should have seen some early drafts. Fortunately, <laughs> I should be repurposing them for my personal blog. Uh, because yeah, I'm like, yeah, this isn't gonna fly, I thought as I made some notes and just poured everything he doesn't really need to know about the nineteen eighty one Tox Death riots in Liverpool and
2: <laughs> No, I think you, you got in just the right amount of history to paint the picture without uh, without it quite reaching the point of Kieran drones on. We didn't we didn't get there. So good good job by you.
1: And remember, Eric, remember. The slogan and ethos of Liverpool Football Club. You will never walk alone, Eric. As long as I am here, you'll never walk alone. Hmm. Bear that in mind. A a tear just slowly
2: rolled down my cheek.
1: Yeah, there you go. Feel bad now, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Nah, not really. Not really. But definitely ready to move on. Yes, indeed. All right. Coming up on this uh, actually boxing podcast, we will be joined by Dan Rayfield, formerly of USA Today and ESPN. And probably I think it's safe to say the best known boxing journalist active today. Uh, And when we're with Dan, we will talk COVID, of course, and boxing's return, what he's hearing about some possible big fights and more. Uh, But first, the top rank ESPN bubble experience. Continues at the MGM Grand. Indeed it does. Uh, This is what we have for live boxing in
2: June and last week once again saw two weekday cards from Vegas with twin brothers headlining the cards Uh, one in the main event on Tuesday and the other in the main event on Thursday. But the fortunes of the Maloney brothers from Australia were very different in their respective US debuts. Andrew Maloney was up first and he was doing okay for a while but his opponent joshua franco came on strong late knocked maloney down in the 11th round and took a unanimous decision to claim maloney's super flyweight belt the scores were 115 112 and 114 113 twice that was andrew maloney's first professional defeat he falls to 21 and 1 with 14 ko's while franco improves to 17 1 and 2 with 8 knockouts two days later Andrew's twin brother, Jason, fared far better, stopping late replacement opponent Leonardo Baez when Baez's corner kept their fighter on his stool after seven increasingly lopsided rounds of their bantamweight 10 rounder. Maloney moves to 21 and one, same record now as his brother, uh, but he has 18 KOs, while Baez, who was on a six fight win streak, uh, falls to 18 and three with nine KOs. Kieran, you said last week you were looking forward to seeing the Maloney brothers in action. What did you think?
1: Well, you know, going in, obviously, the record suggested that Jason was the, you know, the more powerful puncher of the two. Although, of course, at this stage of their career, a lot depends on quality of opposition. But um, that certainly is how it appeared, right? Based on what we saw, I thought it looked, I quite enjoyed watching Jason fight. Actually, I liked his footwork. I liked the way he was doing a lot of nice sidesteps and always shifting position to be in a perfect spot to punch. He looked like he was more than his brother. He was much more committed to being in there, standing in the pocket and, and, and doing some damage. And, and I like the way he gradually, you know, you alluded to it, cranked up the pressure as the fight progressed. I like the compactness of his power punches. Uh, Andrew, yeah, I mean, he showed movement too, but he was, you know, much less compact. And Jason just didn't have that same kind of snap behind his punches. Um, To be fair, he was in somewhat tougher, but I don't know. Even even though it felt as if with Andrew, there was maybe a bit too much movement and not enough dissuasion behind his punches. And, And so, like you said, Franco's really started to come on strong over the last, what, third of the fight, really, 9, right. 10, 11, 12, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Andrew just didn't have what it took to turn him back. Uh, I thought that the 1, 13 cards were a little close. 15, Agreed. 12 wasn't too bad, I thought. Yeah. Um, but that was about as close as it should have been. But, you know, the thing is with both guys, you look, boy, you look at the ridiculous talent. They're in two divisions that are just stacked. And I look at them and I think, yeah, okay, they're top 10 guys. Uh, are they likely to amount to more than that? given the depth of talent they're up against on this first viewing. I'm not at all sure about that, but that's certainly no reason to dismiss them. Uh, Jason in particular, again, you know, was not in as as tough as his brother, but you know, he looked like he might have the slightly higher ceiling and and he's certainly with that style of fighting. He's the one that I'd want to watch again.
2: Yeah, that, that, that seems a reasonable takeaway. And I I mean, yeah, like, as a whole, the Twins, you know, solid. Do they look like top ten contenders, sort of like you said? Yeah, but, you know, certainly I didn't see anything here that threatens to have the Maloneys replace the Charlos as boxing's top pair right. of Twins at the moment. Um, and it's just interesting, these top rank cards are fairly consistently going one for two uh, in terms of entertainment. In, in this case...
0: Now streaming on Paramount+. You ready,
2: Bob?
1: Well, all
0: right! Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Uh,
2: the Thursday card w- was pretty much a dud. Uh, yeah, Maloney was, uh, Jason Maloney was, was somewhat fun to watch, but it was still a one-sided main event, and the Abraham, Nova, Avery Sparrow co-feature was a really tough watch. They were Mm. both very disinterested in spending much time in punching range. Um, But the Tuesday show I thought was really entertaining. Franco Maloney was a fun fight. uh, And, you know, we're generally seeing an upset a week, uh, which which is nice. Um, and, And in this case, I don't think it's because Maloney was significantly less than advertised. It looked to me like Franco just kind of rose to the occasion. So uh so good for him and trainer Robert Garcia and that whole team.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Franco, you know, talking about this 114-13 cards. Looks like he might be uh one of those guys who just has difficulty getting the uh um the judge's decision. He had those that three fight sequence there with um who was it where he was able to get a like, uh, close ne- win ne- draw? Negrete? Negrete. was that it? Yeah. yeah. Close win, draw, close win kind of a deal. He might be just one of those guys who just struggles to necessarily get the scorecards that he needs. So. Yeah. Um, the show goes on in the bubble uh, this coming week. Uh, on Tuesday, Alex Sorsido faces Sonny Fredrickson in a 10-round junior welterweight bout. And on Thursday, Jose Petraza and Michael Pierre try again after their June 18th bout was called off when LePierre's manager tested positive for COVID. Uh, Anything in particular interest you, either in those main events or anything else on the cards?
2: Well, the Pedraza-LePierre fight was never my favorite of these scheduled main events. It's I, but, you know, it doesn't thrill me. But I think it becomes interesting here as a curiosity. You know, does the two-week delay screw them up? Are they able to maintain (laughs) their peaks? Does it open the door a little wider for what would be a minor upset, I think, if LePierre were to win? Uh, This fight is a little more sellable the second time around because, you know, there's a real storyline now. Uh, A storyline for the ESPN crew to hammer into the ground and for me to largely (laughs) fast forward through. Um, But one thing I won't be fast forwarding through is the Sacedo-Frederickson fight. This one stood out to me from the moment It was announced as a very strong matchup of not quite top-level guys, but good fighters. Fredrickson, we've seen on Showbox, he has typically lost when stepping up, and he is the underdog here, but he can be a fun fighter, and Sacedo makes good action. I expect a Sacedo win, but I'm looking forward to that fight. It fits what I'm looking for out of these early no-crowd bubble fights, much more than, say, championship-level fighters in tune-up mismatches. Aye. Speaking of which, uh, (laughs) beyond the confines of the MGM Grand, uh, for the second week in a row, we saw a major Mexican title holder in action at the TV Azteca Studios in Mexico City. This time it was 130-pound titleist Miguel Berchelt, who had no difficulty at all against Eleazar Valenzuela, equaling the accomplishment of Emmanuel Navarrete in his mismatch the week before, winning by stoppage in round six. This fight was up a division uh, for Burchelt at lightweight. Uh, With the loss, Valenzuela goes to 21-14-4, while Burchelt is now 38-1 with 34 knockouts. In shaking off a little rust, how did Burchelt look to you, Kieran?
1: Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. He used this to shake off some rust. Um, You know, and it isn't so much that his last fight was so long ago. I think it was November, which isn't an eternity by modern boxing standards. But it was only a second fight in 13 months. And and more than simply in-ring activity, you wonder, especially these guys who are at the forefront of coming back, it's not just the in-ring stuff. It's how much activity have they missed in the gym during the pandemic. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be just that extra week or two that they could need to... Just get that timing down and that sharpness down a little bit before they step in the ring. And he looked like he was missing a tiny wee bit of that. I mean, he started off well. Obviously, lovely, like, double or even triple hook, I think it was, to drop Valenzuela in the first. But... But then when Valenzuela didn't go away, his punches got a bit wide for a couple of rounds and lost some of their snap. But as it went on, obviously, he started changing up the combinations, looked like he was shaking off the cobwebs and, um, you know, throwing very effectively, I thought, to the body um, and occasionally a bit lower than the body. Um, Good stoppage by the referee when it came. Vance is one of those guys you kind of worry about down the stretch, eh? Because he's obviously not an elite talent, but Lord have mercy, <laughs> can he take some punishment? Yeah, Goodness tough. me! Yeah. Um, and and but and for Bachel, you know, he wants to, now that he's got those cobwebs cleared off, wants to be able to get into a clash with Oscar Valdez, which uh, is something that I would look forward to. Yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, uh, but there's something else in this fight we have to comment on i didn't know this was coming um a few weeks ago we talked about how the sanctioning body in charge of this fight had decided to allow judges to score fights from home and apparently that's not enough tinkering for them (laughs) they've now decided perhaps as an extra safeguard against the realization that at least some of these judges are going to be scoring their fights while taking a bubble bath um (laughs) but three judges is i do, no I do my enough. best
2: scoring in the tub for the record
1: <laughs> well indeed but do you also
2: watch fights hey oh um <laughs> hadn't hadn't thought about it as the words came out of my
1: mouth i unintentionally set you up perfectly <laughs> there you go so apparently three judges is no longer enough they had six um yeah. you were less critical than me of the judges at home program how do you feel about the wbc's You're a judge, I'm a judge, everybody's a judge. (laughs) Yeah, like you, I had no idea this was coming. So when the
2: one fight on the card that went the distance went the distance, and uh, I think it was Joe Tessitore quickly explained before the ring announcer took over that, by the way, we're about to hear six judges' scorecards. Yeah, uh, I I did not know that was coming. It was a strange choice. Um, I like the guiding principle of we have this idea and we— Want to see how it works, letting three judges score on TV monitors at home. Let's let's test it out in some low stakes manner. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I, I think the move, though, instead of trying it this way of three at home and, and three at ringside, uh, maybe just try it unofficially. You know, you have your three judges wow. at ringside and their scores count. And you have your three at home and theirs don't count, um, you know, and and then we can just see, do their scores more or less match the scores at ringside? Are their video feeds working? Are they paying attention and doing their jobs or are they in the bubble bath? Um, All all the questions uh, that that you raised, uh, Kieran, when we first discussed it, we can kind of test it out before just doing it uh, and and see how that works. Um, But doing it this way you still have three judges at ringside in your bubble. So you're not making anything safer by, by doing three and three. And it's weird announcing six scores. And if five of them go for one fighter, is that now considered a split decision? It's certainly not a unanimous oh, yeah. decision, I guess. Um, don't get me into, uh, what happens if it's two for one, one for the other and three are even, is that a, is that a majority draw? Is that a split decision for the guy? I don't know how quite how that would work. Um, you know, as I said uh, at the time that we first discussed this, I don't have an issue with trying to have the judges not be in the room. Uh, to me, there's something to be said for a little tiny bit of extra safety and with, with not forcing these judges to go be part of the quarantine bubble for however long they have to just to score a fight. Um, and we've seen enough weird scorecards from ringside in Vegas already the last three weeks yeah. to back up my point that. You know, is it really going to get any worse if they score from home? Um, So I I like the thought. I, I like the idea of experimenting a bit. I think the idea of using six cards is absolutely stupid. On May 23rd.
1: By the way, there's the other thing, and this just popped into my head. I, um, I didn't notice this until Graham Houston tweeted this, that BoxRec is actually treating all of these as no contests. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, Which is interesting because there's no commission officials ringside. So that's right. going to further confuse everybody <laughs> when, when, you know, if you're using BoxRec to – obviously BoxRec isn't the the like official – a rec a record is that's fight facts, but I right. don't know what fight facts is doing. Um, but yeah, that just adds something to it there, which, you know, yeah, I guess so. It's so, not messed up enough. Right. So, <laughs> so
2: to back up, instead of uh, saying Valenzuela is now 21, 14 and four, he might be 21, 13 and four with one, no contest. And Burchelt might be 37 and one with one, no contest, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of our catchphrase. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when all said yeah. and done after a long discussion, we just settle on an I don't know and move on.
1: Exactly. Well, it's clearly time for us to be rescued by somebody else who hopefully does know some things. Uh, We are very happy to be joined by an old friend. He is a former boxing writer at USA Today, the longtime boxing writer at ESPN, where I also happily made my home for a while. Uh, Fun fact. There's only one person on this podcast who still actually produces content for the ESPN Boxing page, and it's not Dan, and it's not me. (laughs) I guess that leaves me, but barely. I'm like an unpaid intern. (laughs) Uh, He is also the 2013 winner of the Nat Fleischer Award for Excellence in Boxing Journalism from the Boxing Writers Association of America. He is, of course, Dan Rayfield. Dan, it is way overdue, but welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, since I wasn't sure if when you asked me to join you, if it was audio only or video only, I told you that I would wear my Showtime boxing hat, and I am indeed, even if you can not see it, <laughs> I am wearing my Showtime championship boxing hat that I'm sure was uh, given to me at some Showtime event or a boxing writer's dinner or somewhere on the line. Because I tell you one thing, I sure as heck didn't pay for it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we can confirm for the listeners, yes, he is indeed uh, wearing the Showtime hat, which, yep, I've gotten one of those in like a BWAA goodie bag somewhere along
1: the line, yep. (laughs) Exactly. Um, It's actually what they pay us in, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) These are hard times. These are hard
0: times.
1: (laughs) Um, Talking of hard times, look, uh, over these last strange few months, um, we've been asking all our guests variations of this question to sort of open up, which is basically... How are you? How's your family? How have you been dealing with isolation and lockdown over the last few months?
0: I'm doing fine. I mean, it, the, the, the strange thing about it was, this whole situation, the start of it, coincided with me leaving ESPN. So it's been a very big change in, in the daily routine, I suppose, but the is, because there's no fights to travel to, even if I was working for ESPN or for somebody else, there was no fights to go to anyway. So it's been a little weird. But I have to say, it, it, it's been – sometimes it gets a little difficult, you know, when you're just sort of at home. I have a wife and I have a 7-year-old son, so that makes things complicated. You know, he doesn't really quite understand exactly what's going on. i right. explain to him. But that said, in terms of what I do on a daily basis, it hasn't changed that much. I, I'm, I'm a little less busy um, because I don't have the grind of the, of the daily ESPN stuff to do and to be quite honest and i said this to a friend of mine who asked me like how are you doing you know you know not working at espn anymore i said well here's the reality before i worked for espn for several years as a journalist i spent you know from 1993 until this past april at my various journalism stops at newspapers on the website of making deadlines and you know what i was very happy in a, in a silver lining kind of way to know i could go to bed at night whenever that was and I didn't have to worry about making a deadline the next day for anything. Now I've been doing some freelance stuff and so there's deadlines, but it's not the same on the daily grind. So I've been doing some stories for our friends at boxing scene for Rick Reno, who has been terrific. I've been writing, you know, two, three things a week for him. Uh, Ring magazine has asked me to do some pieces. So I've already for their, uh, two pieces for their website, two pieces for the print edition. I've got another story for the print edition that will be coming up where there's a deadline, but it's not anything I have to worry about. So I'm doing just fine. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. You know, I feel more bad for my son because he missed out on the end of his trade. He missed out on, he was missing out on uh, summer camp as he knows it, even though we're doing different activities and trying to, you know, uh, make it a little bit more palatable for the summer, but we're a lot better off than other people. You know, I'm not worried about paying the mortgage. I'm about, you know, you can have groceries or, you know, if a kid needs a new pair of shoes. So all things considered, we're doing just fine. Just got to get through it like everybody. Right.
2: All right, uh, so let's talk some boxing. Uh, We've been seeing boxing inching back in various jurisdictions. And of course, ESPN and Top Rank have really been setting the pace with two fights a week in the bubble at the MGM. It hasn't been without hiccups, of course. Michaela Mayer tested positive for COVID before subsequently being negative, uh, got her fight postponed. As Kieran and I discussed earlier on the podcast, the Jose Pedraza-Mikolay-Pierre bout had to be rescheduled. Jamel Herring has tested positive for COVID, making his July 2nd fight one of four main events already for next month that have fallen through. Uh, But despite the challenges, Top Rank and ESPN have done what they said they would do. They've been churning out two cards a week from the MGM. What have been your impressions of the cards so far and of the broadcasts? And and do you agree with us that the lack of crowd hasn't really been negatively impacting the viewing experience?
0: Well, I agree with you about that. The lack of the crowd, a, a few times when there were some like big exciting moments in like one of the Maloney fights that I watched recently, you're sort of like, it was just sort of weird to not hear the crowd, but in general, it did not, it had less of an impact on me than it might otherwise than I thought it would. Now, again, there's, these are not huge mega fights. If it was you know, a Tyson Fury fight or an Anthony Joshua fight or a Manny Pacquiao fight or one of the big stars of the sport or a really hyped up fight that we were all looking forward to and there was no crowd. That would be kind of weird. But these are not those kind of fights. It's not a knock on the fights, but they're not at the level where you're anticipating huge crowd pops and and, and, and big electricity that would run through the uh, arena if it was a, a really highly uh, significant fight or something you were very much looking forward to. But I have to give, uh, I will give the folks at Top Rank and ESPN credit because just to sit on the couch and watch it, the, the shows, they look nice. The way that mm-hmm. they, the bubble, you know, in that conference room where I, you know, I can know about you guys. I'm sure Karen's been there. I've been in that room and other, you know, Friday night fights types of fights occasionally uh, when there's been the week of a big fight. So they've made the way they've dressed up the room with the banners and with the light boards and the videos and the whole thing and the, and the lighting, it's looked pretty sharp. And there's been a few hiccups but generally speaking, it hasn't been that noticeable that the broadcasters for ESPN, Joe Tessitore and, 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 and Ward and Bradley and Mark Kriegel, that they're all spread out around the country in their own homes and offices and such, and they're not doing it on-site at ringside. Um, you, you know, boxing is one of those sports where you, know, you, you kind of need to see certain things if you're going to discuss them in a broadcast. But they've done a pretty good job of dealing with that, overcoming the fact that they don't have that level of detail when they're watching the fight so from that standpoint it's been pretty good the matches look bob arum is the first to admit when they started up you know don't expect um all-time fights you know th- it's going to get better as they go along and you know you you just outlined the issues that they've had with losing different main events not only to COVID, but they also lost main events to injuries whether it's been storm alvarez getting injured in Smith fight which was an excellent match on paper they just recently lost ivan baranchik to a rib injury he was supposed to be the main against main event against jose zepeda coming up which is another you know, one of the more solid uh, main events they had. Um, Gerald Miller, who was supposed to be in a main event, tested positive for a PEDZ yet again. So he got down. So they've just had all kinds of issues to overcome in their main events. Injury, drug test, COVID, whatever. So they've had, it's been a little bit of a rough start, let's be honest about it. But there's been some shining lights. There's been some good fights. The Maloney fights, both Andrew's loss and Jason's win, were both entertaining bouts. And, uh, you know, Shakur Stevenson, who kicked the thing off, you know, he was in a total mismatch, but at least he looked sensational It was – You know, good to watch a young, you know, burgeoning star, you know, do his thing. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that that they do have hopes to put on bigger fights as this goes along when they can perhaps open things up to at least a small amount of fans and distance people. Um, Look, I'd rather have boxing on that's live, even if it's not the the perfect situation To have none at all. So I'm happy with this for the moment, given the circumstances that we're dealing with.
1: It only takes two minutes of sheer horror.
0: A new Paramount Plus original docu-series. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. And suffocating people with the pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen?
2: I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up.
0: Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.
2: Right. And you mentioned Big Baby Miller. That's that's a big news story that we wanted to to hit on. Big, you get
0: Big Dummy Miller. Is what I call <laughs> big yeah, Big Dummy Miller.
2: Uh, he, he so he got popped for PEDs again. Uh, he was scheduled to fight uh, Jerry Forrest on July 9th. He's going to be replaced, most likely, with Carlos Tacom. But, but that's not the story here, what's going ahead with the, as a replacement fight. The story is big baby or big dummy. Uh, Dan, this isn't even his second defense; It's his third uh, well, or, or fourth, if you count well, the last one as two. So, I mean, it, no, is, no, he, is he done through,
0: now? Go if ahead. If you want to get technical, let's go through it real quick. Okay. I positive when he was taking part in a kickboxing event in 2015. Right. California Commission suspended him and find him. Uh uh, It was supposed to be a match against, uh, maybe I'm not saying it, Mirko-Crocroc. Right. Mixed martial artists. Anyway, that was the first one. Uh And prior to the Anthony Joshua fight that was supposed to take place on June 1st of last year, he tested positive, but it wasn't just one test. He had four separate tests that flunked for three different substances. So I would count that as four failed tests, plus the one from 2014 makes it five. And then the one that took place that he popped for just the other day is six. So in my book, he's had six positive drug tests for a litany of substances, at least four different or five different substances since uh, 2014. And, you know, most of them have been just in the past, uh, you know, less than one year. Somebody said to me, you know, don't call him big baby or big dummy. You call him big pharmacy. (laughs) <laughs>
2: there you go. So so would you so would you expect that the, the lifetime ban is, is possible at this point or likely even or uh, certainly certainly as far as uh, even if there's no official ban like unofficially or are, are promoters just going to be done with this guy? Do you think,
0: you know, I have to check about this and, and you guys know this stuff just like I do. I don't know if there's actually a mechanism by which in, in the land of boxing there's anything as specific as a lifetime ban. Certainly, a promoter can elect not to put him on a show, which would be an effective ban. The commissions around the country can refuse to license him, which would be a ban. Um, you know, My understanding is that the Nevada Commission, in, in granting him the, the, the opportunity to, to fight on the card that was coming up on the Top Rank show, when they did that, they had to give him a license or promise to give him a license. So I guess it could be a technical gray area there if he actually had the license, but nonetheless, because that was taking place and they're well aware of his history and they understand what was going on. The Nevada commission, uh, Bob Bennett in particular, the executive director, which is this is within their rights as the commission to order what they call enhanced testing, which means it's not just the normal protocol that your everyday four rounder or even a main event would go through. That means, um, you're available 24 seven and they, they, they engage VADA to handle their testing for the commission. So he was VADA tested now, if he has the license, I would fully expect that it'll be revoked, and that will make it very complicated for him to get a license anywhere else, certainly a suspension at the least. But that does not guarantee that another state would not break the federal law and give him a license, because the Muhammad Ali Act says if you give suspended in one jurisdiction that, that the rest of the uh, country should follow suit and, and, and reciprocate that exact same suspension. But that may not prevent him from fighting overseas, et cetera. Um, but Gerald Miller's in a, in, a, in a world of trouble, because now it's, you listen, know, we've all written and talked about and seen fighters who have had positive drug tests and there's different levels of it. Sometimes, you know, rarity, I believe that it was not on purpose. Other times it's like, you did it on purpose and maybe the guy can reform himself. Like maybe I thought like a Shane Mosley was able to do uh, This is not that. This is a stone cold cheater. Uh-huh. You get caught six times with a whole variety of substances, particularly in this one where you are getting a second chance. Where a promoter, you know, and I'm not like top rank was really hot to sign the guy. You know, from all my reporting, there was a huge divide within top rank. There were people that wanted to sign him and others that wanted no part of it. Bob Aram is the boss. Ultimately, he makes that decision. He decided to sign him. It's not because I think Bob had some, you know, great love for Big Baby Miller. I think he looked at it from a business standpoint. like, I'm very deep in the heavyweight division. I've got Tyson Fury. We need opponents and other guys on undercards, et cetera. Combined with the fact that Bob has a uh, very strong... Uh, relationship business-wise and and maybe even to a certain degree personal with James Prince who was the manager for Gerald Miller and I think Bob was doing the guy a solid look okay I'll take him on we'll see what we can do and and people should remember also that back in January when they finalized this deal before it was finalized there was a lot of issues getting it done because they had uh, apparently shook hands on it you know Bob co-promotes them with uh, Demetri Salida and Greg Cohen and they thought they had a deal they were drafting all the paperwork and then suddenly they came back and asked for certain changes, and Bob flipped out and was like, screw this. And they weren't going to do the deal at all. Ultimately, they got it done. But the point is, just getting it done gave Bob so much agita that he was ready to walk way back. <laughs> and imagine him sticking with him after what he did. Because now he's messed up shows. Because remember, before this July 9th date, he was supposed to appear on February 22nd under Deontay Wilder, Tyson Theory number two. And because they took so long to get the the deal done, blew the shot to be uh, against Carlos Takam on that pay per view undercar. And so, you know, I think that the combination of what's happened the agenda they've given the company the fact that so many people didn't want him in the first place that bob probably gonna wash their hands to this guy and uh you know see what else he can do and i'd be shocked if somebody else picked him up you think eddie hearn's gonna pick the dude up he messed up this uh, is the reason why, eddie, why anthony joshua <laughs> lost the he heavyweight lost. championship because right. he, you know andy ruiz as the late replacement so you know he's gonna have a hard time finding work in my opinion and good that's the way it should be yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, sticking with bob so he's now tentatively identified Uh, I've seen uh, September 19th as a date for Vasily Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez, maybe at the new Las Vegas Raiders Stadium, maybe in front of some spectators. Given that, actually, the COVID situation appears to be getting worse, uh, not better, how optimistic, I guess I'm asking you to be an epidemiologist here, but what the hell, you got (laughs) time on your hands. How (laughs) optimistic are you that there'll be crowds at boxing events by then? And would you see Lomachenko Lopez going ahead without a crowd? Well,
0: you know, it's hard to predict what, what the world's going to be like in September. You know, it's hard to predict what the world's going to be like on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first thing. You know, obviously, if it's a situation where it's similar to what's happening now, you know, putting on an event where there's a limited crowd, socially distancing, you know, if you're in a big stadium, you know, you can make it so people are not sitting next to each other. Kind of like if you go, you know, not that I've been on airplanes recently, you know, seats open or aisles to right. the people, have them to themselves and you try to figure out a way. Uh, not to be close to people. I can see that being feasible. Um, you know, I don't know how you can necessarily enforce that. That's kind of particularly, you know, people want to get up and go get something to drink or want to go take a leak. Or I mean, there's, there's, it's inevitability that people are going to come in contact with one another. But, you know, I suppose that's uh, something that they could figure out some protocols for. So if you have a, a giant stadium like that and you set it up for like 10,000, let's say, um, it's not out of the realm. I don't even know if that fight would draw 10,000 in that one. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if that fight's in Madison Square Garden, you know, you're going to draw a big crowd like that. In Las Vegas, outdoors, nah, I'm not so sure about that. So I think it's doable where you might have a crowd of like, say, five or 6,000, you know, in a huge stadium like that. It wouldn't look very good, I guess, but people would understand given the circumstances. Hmm. Uh, do I think it will happen without a crowd? That's a hard one because it's such a it's such a significant fight. There hasn't been a significant fight, a truly significant fight in boxing yet where there's been a crowd. And so... Who's going to be the first one to take that plunge? You know, that's hard to say. But look, if the money is there, I suppose it could happen without a crowd. Now, I guess top-ranking ESPN still left to figure out for 100%. Are they going to do it as a live ESPN event? Are they going to do it as an ESPN Plus event? Are they going to make it available as a normal pay-per-view? Are they going to go the UFC route and do it as an ESPN Plus only pay-per-view where you can't buy it on your TV, but you can only buy it on the streaming service? These are all things that they have to figure out and then sort of crunch the numbers and see what's there. And uh, I suppose that they, they, they probably would go ahead and do it without a crowd if it was absolutely necessary. I mean, keep in mind, as big of a fight as it is, it isn't like it's Mayweather Pacquiao. You know. So, right. uh, purses for these two fighters that, you know, and I don't know the exact numbers because I don't, frankly, don't even think that they have deals done with either boxer. But uh, I would imagine that the total purse for the main event is no more than, you know, maybe, maybe five million. And I'm not, that's not peanuts, but... They they can figure out a way if, if you're, if you have some element of a crowd and you have some element of pay-per-view or, you know, you do have money available in your ESPN budget, you know, you might have to be able to get some sponsorship uh, agreements. There may be a market where you can sell that fight internationally. It's not out of the realm of possibility in my mind, you know, again, mm-hmm. knowing every detail of the numbers. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: All right. Well, uh, elsewhere, looking beyond the top rank stable, uh, plans for other fights are coming together. Eddie Hearn recently confirmed plans for, matchroom fight camp a four-week series of cards running from august 1st to 22nd on the grounds of hearn's mansion and the matchroom headquarters in brentwood essex Uh, the sequence concludes with a card headlined by dillian white and alexander pavitkin and katie taylor defending her titles against an opponent who unfortunately will not be amanda serrano Uh, dan a few questions firstly and most importantly have you ever been to eddie hearn's mansion I have not, but I've
0: seen pictures and it's quite the spread. I guess they used to live there. Now it's just the, uh, the headquarters for the company, but it's beautiful. They have a large, you know, to call it a garden is sort of like under, under you know, it, that's, I have a garden in my backyard, that <laughs> like, you know, grows, uh, you know, some cucumbers and lettuce. In, but this is a very expansive uh, area. And it, it, I have to say, it, you know, with a little hill that it has there, it looks pretty sharp yeah. you know, with the lights, you know, it should make for a very interesting sort of backdrop to a fight, you know, totally different than compared to, you know, the, the, the conference center, that the top rank taking place. in. But, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty good idea and I, I can appreciate Eddie's point of view that if we're going to bring it back with no fans, let's at least try to make it an location. And you know what I own, you know, our family owns this place, so they don't have to worry about renting it or, you know, the associated with that. Um, you know, the people that are his partners at sky in the UK were willing to, to come there and to do it and, uh, you know, make a go of it. I mean, he's put together, like you said, a four-week four, four series of events uh, culminating with that heavyweight fight between White and Povetkin. And, uh, you know, the matchups are maybe not the mega fights, same as like a top rank events, but there's some good prospects and there's some fights on paper that seem to be reasonable where you don't ne- you know know for sure who's going to win. Um, you know, the main event between Povetkin and- is obviously an interesting heavyweight matchup. Uh, like you, I, w- I was hopeful that they would be able to figure out a way to, to get the surround. And, and Taylor Dunn, I know there was issues there, out of money that they wanted to pay Serrano without a crowd and everything. Hopefully, they can reschedule it at some point. But um, you know, I, I, like I like with Top Rank, I wish Eddie good luck and uh, that they can pull it off and keep people safe and, and hopefully we get some good fights on. And, and you know, from the purposes of uh, of uh, as a fan, it just gives you another option to watch uh, instead of just watching the Top Rank fights. And frankly, by the time that Eddie's shows in uh, in England begin in August. There also should be uh, a definitive schedule, at least for the first few PBC fights that we back, whether they're the Fox fights or the Showtime fights. Right.
2: So, so one question: Just you were mentioning the the Taylor Serrano, and uh, I was just if you could delve a little deeper on on what your understanding is of of why that fell through when it had looked like uh, pretty much a done deal before the pandemic. What's what exactly happened there?
0: Well, it was a done deal. I mean, they had signed contracts, okay. they were ready to go, they had a date, they had purses, everything was was. Uh, Was set to go. And then when this occurred, obviously now there becomes a situation where there's fewer uh, dollars or pounds to to pay people when there's no crowds. Um, And so they wanted uh, Serrano to take a pay cut. Um, You know, her manager, I believe it was her manager, claimed it was a 50% cut. You know, her promoter, who was Lou DiBello, I spoke to, said, well, it wasn't really a 50% cut. It was probably more closer to about, you know, 15 or 20%. But regardless, Amanda did not want to take the pay cut. This was her biggest payday by far as a professional boxer. She also has uh, made a few dollars doing some MMA events. Right. Um, she elected to like, look, this is a huge fight. Katie's the you know one of the biggest names in the women's side of the sport. So is Amanda. And this fight deserves to be done the way it's supposed to be done. So she declined uh, that particular situation. And so Eddie, Katie Taylor active. And so she'll probably fight somebody else unless there's some kind of last ditch effort where they can overcome whatever financial uh, disagreements that they're having and make the match. So, You know, I don't think there was any kind of, uh, anything nefarious or, or anything like that. It's just one of those things where, you know, we want to change the terms because of this situation, uh, and, uh katie and and, uh rather amanda and her team were not interested to do that and so there's no fight right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: well having just asked you to be an epidemiologist i'll ask you to be a a tv executive now um
0: (laughs) i would i would be a much better tv executive (laughs) (laughs) a a little
2: closer to your skill set yeah (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. indeed um (laughs) i'm wondering what your sense is or maybe even what you're hearing about when the dust clears here what The situation is going to be like for the broadcast business of the sport, especially over here There have been all kinds of rumors about the state of the zone Um, FS1 as we know has has cancelled all its shoulder programming on boxing Um, We've heard perhaps it's because of the kind of news that we like to hear that actually the Showtime budget perhaps because Showtime isn't reliant On on live sports is actually could be fairly healthy for the second half of the year I'm just kind of curious about what kind of whisperings you've been hearing
0: well, in terms of the, you first, you mentioned about Fox canceling its shoulder programming. To my understanding, they didn't cancel all of their shoulder programming. They just canceled the one show, which was the inside.
1: Okay, PPC. the inside PPC, okay.
0: Which, which I thought, as I had tweeted about, I thought, you know, it, it started off a little rough, but they, they ironed out a few kinks after the first few shows. They really, I thought, had come into their own, you know, the, the, the host, Kate Abdo, along with Abner Morris and Sean Porter, had been doing an excellent job in my mind. They had some fun. You know, they didn't take themselves too seriously, which I kind of, yeah. good features and And uh, and good interviews and that sort of stuff. And some good conversation. They had good guests, whatever. You know, obviously it was all PBC related. um, And they've decided to to cancel that show. But my understanding is they will still do their shoulder programming as it relates to some of their pay-per-view events. Um, They did not mention anything about canceling their countdown program towards their regular Fox fights or their uh, face-to-face show, which is the show where they put the two together uh, prior to the fight uh, that our good friend Brian Campbell has been hosting, uh, who does a hell of a job those I think are still sticking around. Um, so look, the Fox fights are going to resume. They have a long-term contract with PBC that goes for, you know, at least a couple of more years. I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't aware about the particulars of Showtime, but I kind of figured if there hasn't been any money spent of any kind of, you know, as far as other than maybe, you know, a couple of shows that were done at the very beginning of the year that you would think there might be some money to do some bigger events uh, further uh, down the line this year. So I'm hopeful that we'll see that. And in terms of the ESPN, Look, they're in the middle of, a, of like a seven-year contract with Top Rank, uh, which calls for X number of fights over the year. And so, you know, they're they're, they're going to continue to do those now. They're going to branch out of the pay-per-view like they did with the joint pay-per-view with Wilder and Fury that took place uh, in February, which now seems like about 100 years ago. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see them do that. So we'll, we'll have more clarity on what their plans are once we find out how they're going to um, distribute the, the Lomachenko fight, assuming that that gets finalized. Um but, you know, I think like every single business out there, particularly in terms of TV, movies, etc., you know, there's going to be some changes in terms of how people spend money. I think a lot of boxers are going to have to come to the realization that the, the crazy purses uh, and I don't begrudge any fighter. Go get as much money as you can. It's a tough sport, obviously. But there a lot of them are going to be brought back to earth because the the days of spending like a drunken sailor in the, the zone world are over. And so they were driving other promoters to pay more money for fights. So you know, that's not going to be there anymore. So some fighters are still locked in at certain numbers and hopefully they can get what they've been contracted for. But other other fighters are going to probably have to take less and or they're going to just have to decide, look, they have to decide, am I, is it worth me to get in the ring for this much money or do I have to get this much money? And Bob Arum has said, and uh, with no malice in my mind, you know, and I'll use one example, Terrence Crawford, who made some comments about if he's going to fight with no crowd, he should get paid more money which the respect I found to be bizarre because you can't just make the money up. I mean, that comes from ticket buyers and and from the public and, and viewership or pay-per-view or sponsors or whatever. Um, and Bob's point was, look, if Terrence doesn't want to fight for what we can offer him, I respect him as an athlete and as a person, you know, he can just make his own mind up and next man up. So there's going to be somebody to take the place if, if another fighter turns down a purse. So if Amanda Strong doesn't want to fight uh, Katie Taylor under the deal that was Uh, You know, re-present it to her, and then Eddie Hearn will go find another killer. Nothing against Serrano, but you know, life goes on, baby.
2: Right. (laughs) All right. Let's let's talk heavyweights, uh, and specifically British heavyweights, uh, which in this topsy turvy world, uh, most of the best uh, heavyweights are British uh, these days. Didn't used to be the case. Uh, But Frank Warren has announced that the battle between Britain's top prospects, uh, Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois, has been rescheduled for October 24th. Kieran and I are both especially high on Dubois. Do you share our enthusiasm and, and how do you see that fight going?
0: I definitely share your enthusiasm. Um, when I did my, my uh, top prospects that I had done annually for so many years at ESPN and before that at USA Today, when that came out this past December, um, Daniel Dubois, off the top of my head, I want to say I had like number three or two or four, whatever. He's high up on that list. He's an outstanding mm-hmm. young fighter, has every attribute in perfect like, symmetry that you want to see in a heavyweight, the way he's built, the way he moves, his punching power. And I, I wrote a piece um, where we, the, I was tasked with, pick some younger fighters that aren't the most familiar to the public today in the mainstream and compare them as best as you can. That if you like this old timer or this fighter that was maybe from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, this is. if you like that guy, watch this guy. So... I said, okay, if you like Floyd Mayweather, maybe give Shakur Stevenson a look. If you like Roberto Duran, give Teofimo Lopez a look. Now, I'm not comparing them that they're going to become that guy, but they have that sort of sizzle, that sort of style, whatever. So I compared Daniel Dubois. If you were a fan of the way that Riddick Bo fought, yeah. give Daniel Dubois a shot. To me, the first time I ever saw Daniel Dubois, you know, three or four fights into his career, I thought I'm watching Riddick Bowe because of the fluidity of his punches, the, the lightness on his feet, uh, the, the the physical dimensions that he had in terms of his height and his weight. So that, you know, if he can stay in shape, obviously Bo did not stay that way for very long. But that to me was like the upside of a Daniel Dubois. I think he's just a dynamic puncher. He seems to have the right uh, sort of mindset. Um, yeah, I think he's a great prospect. I mean, as good of a heavyweight prospect as we've seen in, in quite a number of years. There's there's really nothing technically that he is has major flaws in. Now, we don't know about his chin, and that's always the – you know, the, the thing about heavyweights, until they get cracked, you just never know. Uh, but so far, so good. And uh, he's been knocking guys out. He's been slowly stepping up his opposition, it seems to me. And Joe Joyce is not a pushover. He's a real guy also, as far as up and coming. I mean, he may be older in terms of the calendar because he didn't turn pro until he was already in his 30s. Then I mean, he had about a long amateur career, certainly much more in-depth than Daniel did. You know, got a medal in the Olympics. A lot of people thought he deserved the gold, that, that he kind of got robbed when he fought uh, Tony Yoka for the gold medal. Um you know, it's it's a true crossword fight and, you know, promoters love to hype and, and love to spin and say crazy outlandish things. But when Frank Warren says that this is a true crossroads fight and these guys did not need to take this match, he's absolutely right. And I give both guys credit for taking the fight. I'm actually very much looking forward to it.
2: And, and from Dubois, the guy who might be on top of the heavyweight division, you know, a, a couple of years from now to the guys who are on top right now, fury and joshua they supposedly have this agreement uh but we know there are a lot of hurdles to clear before then how likely do you think it is that we're actually going to see those two square off in 2021
0: you know they claim that there's a financial outline in place and obviously anytime you're doing a huge fight the money is always the biggest deal and so if they've got that ironed out it makes the chances of it happening better but like you said there are so many things that have to happen they both are going to fight number one and it's heavyweight boxing And they're not fighting pushover. So is it out of the question that Deontay Wilder can knock Tyson Fury out in in a rematch, you know, in a third fight? No question. could. Kubrat Pulev may not be on the level of Deontay Wilder, but he's a very competent, uh, quality heavyweight contender. His only loss is uh, by a knockout to Vladimir Klitschko uh, in a mandatory fight, you know, a few years ago. He's won a bunch of fights in a row against, you know, reasonable opposition. You know, could he upset Anthony Joshua? And probably I'd give him a less chance of doing that than I would of Deontay upsetting theory in the third fight, but it's certainly possible. So they have to get through that fight. Then they also are going to have to address the, the other mandatory because they don't really want to talk that Usyk is there and the WBO mm-hmm. get a mandate that he's supposed to get the winner. And uh, we'll see how that, that clarifies. You know, the people that are with Usyk other than Eddie Hearn all say we're next up. So, you know, we'll see. Paco from the WBO is sort of, I haven't been able to get a read. Like, he says one thing, but it doesn't really make it clear of what he's actually saying. So the WBO is going to have to address that mandatory situation. Um, and then there's also the issue about where are you going to have the fight? Can you have a crowd? If we can't have a crowd, is somebody going to pay them, you know, a crazy amount of money to stage the fight in front of no fans that, that is up for debate, I suppose. So I don't have an answer for that question. I mean, I hope it happens like any boxing fan. You want to see the two top guys in the division fight each other for the undisputed title. Uh, but, you know, as, as I said earlier, I said, I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. So it's hard to say what's going to happen sometime in 2021.
1: Talking of not being able to tell what's going to happen on Tuesday. Oh, I can tell you one thing. I
0: can tell you one thing that will not happen in 2021. I will still not be an epidemiologist. There you go.
1: (laughs) There you go. Uh, We'll all be amateur epidemiologists, but that's that's a whole other thing. Um, If boxing were to end tomorrow for the year, which it could conceivably still do, um, would Tyson Fury... Who we've just been talking about would he be your vote for fighter of the year? I it feels so long ago that we had major fights. I'm actually struggling to think who else might actually be a contender at this point.
0: No, I think Tyson Fury without question is the fighter of the year. You know, at this moment in time. I mean we're in June. We only had really like three months of real fights in terms of January, February, really January and February, because there was only like it's really only two months, it was only basically like a week worth of fights in March. And then we've had, you know, the handful of top rank fights over the last you know three weeks. But uh no without question Tyson Fury would be the fighter of the year. Uh, the only other one that maybe jumps to mind, a couple maybe that you could at least have in the conversation, maybe Roman Gonzalez with the way he rebounded, win the title against Cali um, you know, maybe Jason Rosario by winning the junior middleweight, unified yeah. upset uh, Julian Williams in Philadelphia back in uh, January, which feels about two lifetimes ago.: Yeah,. You that. So you know, there, there's not a big uh, universe of, of uh, candidates to choose from is the problem. but, but right. I, any year. The way Tyson Fury handled this against Deontay Wilder would put him in the conversation. Obviously, you know, we'd have to see what happens because it, theoretically he'll have another fight this year against Wilder. And, uh, you know, he would be able to, to definitely cap that first performance and, and be the fighter of the year.
2: Right. All right. Well, last topic that we want to make sure to, uh, to hit on here uh, before we let you go. Uh, not a pleasant topic, but, uh, but major news late last week. We learned that <clears throat> Roberto Duran has been admitted to the hospital with COVID-19. His family insists it's just a precaution and that he's OK. But he's a 69-year-old guy with an already damaged lung. So I'm going to exercise my right to be at least somewhat concerned. Uh, have you had many interactions over the years with Hands of Stone, Dan?
0: I have had many interactions with the hands of stone and I actually had said this to my wife when I saw the news that he had been in the hospital, which, and I I guess it is good news because I saw a picture that one of his kids had put on social media where he was smiling and things. And and the comment was, you know, that uh, the doctor say he's in the, you know, he's going to be okay. Just needs, you know, to spend a few more days and get a little stronger. But uh, so I was very happy to hear that. Listen, I, I was never like a huge, huge Duran fan. I was more of a Leonard guy growing up in terms of like, like to watch I mean Duran was good to watch but I was not like you know team Duran necessarily in my days as a boxing reporter when Roberto has been retired but I've gotten to know him because I've seen him at so many events a lot of promoters bring him into fights to help promote the show Um, he's always around in the press rooms and at big fights particularly when they do middleweight fights that you know I've, I've spent time with Roberto over the last you know 20 years he's a wonderful wonderful guy I love him you know I love Ray as a person and as a fighter also uh, Duran, though, I'm, I'm, I'm Team Duran now also. He, he's, uh, he's a joy to be around. I have some great memories. There was one fight where the promoters had brought him into New York City to help uh, with some of the promotion of, uh, I believe it was the Triple G unification fight against David Lemieux that took place at Madison Square Garden. And so Roberto was around all week long. We were all in the same hotel. And I remember uh, one of the afternoons where, you know, there wasn't a whole lot. Ago. It might have been Friday afternoon, like before the weigh-in or maybe after the whatever it was, after the weigh-in. I was in the, you know, and you guys will know this. There's the, the the hotel that often serves as the fight hotel for the garden fights, the Affinia, now called the Stewart, right across the street from the, the garden on 7th Avenue. And there's a, there's a bar or restaurant there called Niles. And everybody hangs out there when the fight weeks are going on. But that afternoon I spent, I had to be like two hours, maybe longer. I was with Lance Pugmire, uh, then the, the boxing writer for the LA Times now with The Athletic, one of my good buddies and myself and Lance and, uh, one of the women that worked for golden boy, uh, a, a woman named Carla, was bilingual. And so the four of us were there just hanging out having a drink and we were there with Duran and because she was so good at translating, it was like, it was like the UN version. She could translate <laughs> in real time. So it was like, you're having a real conversation and we just, just sat back and Duran told us story after story after story is one of the great memories of my, uh, of my career as far as just hanging out with a fighter. I wasn't writing a story about him. We were just having a nice time, um, but I've seen Duran a million times. I, I just uh, when uh, when it was his birthday a few days ago or like a week ago, I went into my 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 photo uh, folder in my computer and I found a great shot where somebody had taken of myself with Duran standing outside of Cowboy Stadium, waiting to go in before Errol. It was like at the weigh-in I think for Errol Spence against Mikey Garcia. And so when I tweeted like happy birthday, I posted a picture of myself and Duran smiling, you know, one of my all time favorite pictures I ever have of anything I've ever taken or had taken of me is our good friend, Tom Casino, the longtime Showtime photographer who's shot a million fights over the years. I was at like a small card that Showtime was doing like the night before a big card, uh, like at the Hard Rock maybe in Vegas or wherever we were at. And in the audience who were there, I guess we're gonna go to the big fight the next night. Who's there sitting next to each other? Roberto Duran and Mike Tyson, I have this awesome <laughs> one of my pride and joy of being between Tyson and Duran. And Tyson is smiling, and Duran has got the scowl on his face. I mean, it's <laughs> beautiful. But uh, I mean, I'm happy that Duran is okay. I, I love him as a fighter, I love him as a human being, and I wish nothing but that he gets out of the hospital and everything is good. And uh, even with one long. And, and having Colby could still probably kick all of our asses.
2: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, immune system of stone, hopefully, is what we'll be <laughs> calling it. But uh, this has been great. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Dan. Good catching up with you. And uh, we expect a lot of extra downloads of this podcast from the Fight Freaks.
1: Shout out to the Freaks.
0: <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate having me on. Always fun. Thanks, brother.
1: Okay, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin, and Albania. Our thanks once again to Dan Ray joining us we will be back next week at the latest with another edition until then thanks for listening safe